you know, the, the whole importance of, you know, connection before content and, and really making sure that um, when kids arrive, that there is something to do. Um, that they, you know, kids arrive early. There is something to do in physical education. We're all PE teachers. Um, you know, and I'm hoping that there's people listening that aren't PE teachers. But um, when we um, when we have kids arrive, it doesn't matter whether they're there five minutes early or um, or they come five minutes late. There is something that's actually going to get them going that connects to the lesson. You're listening to the NZ PE Teacher Cast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With the ability to track student progress and quiz results, data provided by My Study Series ensures teachers remain informed of how well their students are performing. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Alright, kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 32 of the NZPE TeacherCast and it's actually the first one for 2018 um, and by the time this goes live I think everybody will be getting back into the flow of things, back at school, uh, meeting all their students and getting their routines and everything established so I'm pretty excited to be uh, welcoming Andy here to the podcast and he comes all the way from Australia and he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a pretty, what's the best way to describe him? It's a pretty exciting bloke, um, and he does a lot in the PE domain, and he does some really exciting work. So um, it's 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 my pleasure to introduce Andy here. So Andy, welcome to the podcast. G'day, mate. Uh, how are you? And, and certainly um, happy summer uh, for us down here in the, our uh, southern hemisphere. And um, it's really yeah, really exciting to be on this. And I know it's been a while since we've caught up, but uh, um, it's it's going to be a, a great chat today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Our, our summer's been it's been a bit hit and miss. We had a really hot period for about two weeks, and then it went all wet, and then it's kind of recovered, but not really. So it's been a bit of a mixed bag for our summer. But um, I'm looking yeah. forward to things improving a little bit. Yeah, well, we've we've hit. Well, I'm just going to say we're on the contrast here. We we had a um a massively hot uh, spell last week where um temperatures got up to 48 degrees Celsius. So it wow. was hot. Wow, that's that's huge. I, I can't imagine being in that. Um, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't get anything done. I wouldn't get anything done. So we we met later in 2015 in Tasmania, of all places, where we were both keynote speakers um, at the Achpa State Conference, which was a pretty cool experience. So, so our audience can get a little background on you. Can you give us your educational journey since then? So, like, fill in the gaps for us. Yeah, um, uh, you know that that conference it seems like an an eternity ago. So much has changed since then, and um, that year was a really really special year for me. Um, you know, obviously it was you know first keynote, um, first sort of educational trip outside of Victoria, um, and certainly down to Tasmania where where I met your good self. And uh, since then, it's it's been amazing. I've had some really Big big highs, uh, which I'll, I'll mention in, in a second. I've had I've had some um, terrible lows as well, and um, you know the probably the the highlight of the last two years has been working with um, Professor Dick Telford um, and also Professor uh, Rowan Telford um, in the the field of physical literacy with the University of Canberra, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but. Um, really some amazing opportunities just came from stepping outside the classroom and being able to work in with instructional leadership with um, some educators and um, probably I rank it as you know the highlight of my 23 years of teaching physical education the last um, 18 months especially have been um, the best ever and um, spent a lot of time um, interstate and uh, two big trips overseas last year so I went to California um, 
to the KFED conference and then over to APEC in Hong Kong, which was amazing. If you ever get a chance, Carl, you've got to go to Hong Kong. Um, that conference is phenomenal. Um, and uh, yeah, just just a, a few feature presentations there and, and connecting with um, with a lot of like-minded educators to um, to add to the uh, the pocket of people I can draw upon when I um, get back into the classroom. Well, that's that is a pretty full on full on um, a few years. You mentioned physical literacy, and and I you know that's that's a term that gets thrown around a lot. What? What's physical literacy to you? And it's obviously something we're going to touch on soon. But give us give us your thoughts around physical literacy. Yeah, look, um, it probably comes down to a, a lot of different definitions, and I know a lot of people are spending a lot of time trying to unpack a definition. But um, I'll tell you what it means to a kid, um, and it comes down to being able to have the confidence and the competence to be able to enjoy a, a fully um, fully engaged life without any limitations um, and if we look at that and we go okay that child today when they're an adult we want them to be able to experience everything that they possibly can um, and be confident and competent to be able to participate in that at whatever level they choose to um, then we as educators need to actually then scale that like that whole backwards design and go right okay for a personal experience if this child is um is hell-bent on um, you know, climbing Mount Everest, then we've got to tailor experiences so they actually pick up those skills necessary to be able to go and conquer that in their in their life. And, um, and it comes back to really looking at your PE program and then looking what's available around uh, your community to for kids to be actively involved in, but then also looking at the, um, the gaps that lie there as well. And put it all in a big mixing bowl and mix it up so you've got a scope and sequence chart which caters for uh, fostering growth in community engagement but also filling in the gaps uh, of where each individual child is sort of um, wanting to, to go. And, you know, that's really hard to understand when a child's six years of age and go, what do you want to be when you're 21? Well, you know, you can bet your bottom dollar they're going to be a fireman, a police officer or, you know, a doctor potentially. Um, but... What we have to do is, is come up with the magic to try and um, uh, predict what what they're going to need in their swag to draw upon as, as they're um, getting older, and then certainly handball that to the secondary system. You know, me being a primary system, handball it to the secondary system teachers, and, and go right. This is where these kids are at. It's now your responsibility to continue to foster that child's learning growth and um, and give them what they need. Yeah, I really like that, and I, I like the inclusion of those two words, confidence and competence, because yeah. you often see people that have skills and natural skill and natural ability, but they're not particularly confident, and likewise, you see people who are confident but not particularly competent, and being able to align both of those together and use that within that definition of physical literacy and and the work that you're trying to do and build that growth with the students and their development. I think those two words are, for me anyway, are pretty key in talking about physical literacy. So that was um, a really cool definition of what you think it means to a kid. So thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, um, last, last, last year was a pretty crazy year and you've already touched on a couple of them, but what were your highest and lowest educational moments of the year? Yeah, look, the um, there's probably a, a three highs, and I'll I'll pick these three highs because they're sort of pivotal in my career. And, and number one has to go to the University of Canberra and the opportunity that I've had there to be entrusted into a program which is um, you know, the the lifelong work of Professor Dick Telford in in terms of um, you know, the engagement of uh, look study lifestyle of our kids and. Um, and realising through, um, you know, with, with Dick Telford that um, you know, we're, we're in a fair bit of trouble here in Australia with um, the onset of type 2 diabetes and obesity really hitting hard in, in, in children um, and the declining rapid uh, rate of, um, of health. And, and what, we, um, what we sort of went out to try and prove through um, the theories that we were running, you know, it was a trial program based here in Geelong and, uh, what we're trying to prove is that by increasing physical activity and physical education, so physical education um, guidance 
to teachers who could then uh, foster down and actually give more physical activity and education to students that we were um, on the right path to um, decreasing the rate of onset of type 2 diabetes and, and obesity. Now that, that's something that is almost impossible to prove over the course of two and a half term. Um, Dick and his team um, with the look study had, had actually proven that this, this works over a number of years with um, some children that they've been studying for um, 10 to 12 years. Um, so we, we were continuing to, to do that and what we were looking for um, is to prove to the government uh, here in Victoria and, and certainly Australian government that through as little as 60 more minutes of physical education in, in a week we can actually improve um, not only the academic outcomes but the, um, the abilities for children to, to be fitter and healthier and more engaged and, and to have better opportunities. Um, both in school and better choices outside of school. Um, so we worked with uh, classroom teachers um, because we know that the classroom teachers um, here in Victoria especially are, are governed to literacy and numeracy and I know around the world they are as well. Um, and that physical education through a classroom teacher's eyes is often a dirty word because it actually takes away from one of the key subject areas. Um, but what we now started to work out with, with the teachers is that um, physical education has a place because it is the, the learning, the movement process of learning and through this movement process what we were able to do is um, develop a, a knowledge bank within the teachers that the kids are going to be better engaged because you're stimulating the chemicals in their brains that um, are, are making them more alert and are more aware. You know, Going outside and actually engaging in a, in a physical education lesson is not going to make them smarter, but if we do it the right way, it's going to consolidate learning. Um, and so we went in and we really started to target what the themes of the teachers were in the classroom and how the teachers were actually going to be teaching um, their units of work with a physical component. So wherever they felt necessary that, hey, we've really got to make this stick, um, we encourage them to actually get up and actually make that learning become alive. And, and what they started to realise was that there was a real pivotal change in, in the attitudes of kids because kids were starting to move. They didn't have to go out and go, oh, I've got to give away an hour to play a silly game of dodgeball. They were actually able to integrate the physical education components into their, their um, other subject areas, their core curricular areas. And, um, and through that, they were then able to show the evidence back to the principals who were often the, the, the detractors to whether they were allowed or not allowed to, um, to go out and engage in more outside work. Um, so that was um, uh, such an amazing experience. And, and I worked with eight schools, um, around about 400 kids, um, and then also complemented the eight physical education teachers in the schools as well. And, and don't get me wrong, like these, these schools, um, you know, even PE teachers in some of these schools were terrible. Um, you know, I, I went in there with an expectation and actually the first um, few weeks I, I you know, was having coffees and shaking my head and thinking, oh my God, you know, I, I thought these guys might have been at a better, um, a better position than what they were, but what they needed was help. Um, and they needed that, that independent person to go, I've seen something that will complement um, your program or I've got someone that I think you should talk to because they are on the same pathway as you. Um, initially, they were looking for me to, to give them the answers, but what I was doing was exactly the same as Twitter and Facebook and you know how you and I chat is that I was actually connecting them with educators that were complementing their program. So they were able to grow independently um, through that. Um, so that was our, in, in a real short little nutshell, that was um, our work with the University of Canberra. And, and right at the moment we're, um, we're in the process of uh, waiting for an answer from the government to see whether um, we'll be successful in getting this as a full-time funding. Um, we're looking to increase the, the number of coaches. So last year I was a, a singular coach working in eight schools. What we're looking to do is actually um, develop the program so we've got eight coaches working in um, 10 schools each um, and working with whole schools and a partnership for five to six years because that's the, the, the length of time a student stays at a school um, and really develop the, um, the north-south growth of education but also the east-west um, 
growth of education that includes physical education and um, and certainly the welfare of uh, students and teachers right through the entire process of education rather than it just being responsibility of the PE teacher. Um, so that was probably one highlight. Um, the, the second highlight um, was heading to CAFED um, in San Diego, so Californian Health and Education, Recreation and Dance. Oh my God, like I tell you, I, I went to Shape Seattle many years ago but, and was a spectator, but this one I was a presenter and didn't I just love that experience. That was one of probably <laughs> the best things I've done in my entire career and, and being able to have that time to be able to connect not only with people that I've known on Twitter for quite a number of years, but sit down and actually present with them um, and be involved with them and have um, critical conversations with these people because they are now not Twitter people. They are, they are my colleagues. Um, they're, they're people I'm drawing on um, through conversation to, to better myself and, and create change in, in my settings. Um, and, you know, it doesn't matter that they're, um, you know, tens of thousands of kilometres away, they're, um, they're a short message and a, a conversation um, through social media. Um, so CAFED, uh, the feature presentation I had over there was uh, Making PE Addictive. Um, and my Making PE Addictive unit of work was always centred around Do Perfect. Have you, have you seen Do Perfect? No, I haven't. I haven't. Oh, have to jump on YouTube and have a look at Do Perfect okay. and then bring that into your um, school curriculum this year. Your guys will love it. Um, nice. And so that that was my my feature presentation. And, and here in Australia, you um you get people to book into your session. So I may be lucky one day if I'm if I'm really on fire and get forty people, and that's a sellout. Uh, over there, there's a walk-in policy. So if someone wants to come and see it, they walk in. And um, and my feature presentation had um, in three quarters of the gymnasium had 135 people um, in there wow. participating, and it was all centered around target games because I knew what was going to uh, transpire with so many people. Uh, and the other thing we took over to um, the Americans was cricket um, and represented <laughs> cricket Australia over there. And, and they loved that, and uh, and we, we ended up having three forms of cricket. Um, we did our instructional teaching of it, um, where we had 230, 235 teachers attended that session, um, and then we took the game around about an hour later into the grand ballroom and, and played a instructional game of cricket. Um, and then they had also the university games were in San Diego at the same time, so we got a knock on the door about nine o'clock that night to um, to see if we'd actually be able to come out with the university students and and um, have a great game of cricket with them. So um, it was just really good to be involved um, in that that big conference um, over there. And, and certainly the last one, which was a massive highlight, was heading up to Hong Kong um, and engaging with the international teachers. It's an area which has always intrigued me um because your um your multiculturalism through the university uh, sorry through the international education system is phenomenal um and not only pushing myself to be able to teach um international teachers but also from different cultures as well and understand that um being australian not everyone understands what we say so i had to change the way I did things and, and certainly present ideas that, um, yes, I know worked in my settings, but actually relate them all back to the international school system, which I knew very little about. Um, but the, the common core element there is that we teach children. So everything I did, there was a story about um, the, the children I taught and, and the, the difference it made in the children um, along the way. And, and that was so successful. I walked away from that and I said, came home and said to my wife, I said, look, what do you think international schools in a couple of years? And um, got the big nod of, nod of approval. So we'll, we'll see where we go from there. That's um, those three massive highlights for you. And, and, and I, the, it's really interesting. And the work, the work you're doing with the university, um, we, we run something very similar over here. We have sport and education and, and play.sport, which they both complement each other. But play.sport in particular is about going into primary schools and providing support for those teachers to implement really quality physical education. Um, and I think the fact that you've been involved with that says a lot about 
the type of person you are that, you know, you've been entrusted to go in and be this facilitator or this coach with these teachers and help build those connections and that knowledge and that understanding. So that's, that's really awesome. And, um, yeah, jealous of you heading to the to the states to do that presenting. Um, I, you know, I, one of the things I love about being a PE teacher and and with my career is that ability to go and speak to people and share my story and share some of the things I'm doing. But I haven't yet cracked that US market, mate. So congrats on that. Um, what about? I always like reflecting on things that could have been different or things that were difficult, so that I can learn from them as I move forward. So what has been something that was a, more of a low point for you in 2017? Um, yeah, this, this one's a, a tough one because, you know, I, I, I live in a very positive lifestyle where, you know, I, I very rarely see the negative in a lot of things I do. But reflecting on it, probably the, the lowest point of the year was, um, uh, you know, and Andy Vasily mentioned this a couple of months ago, and I always hate repeating what Andy Vasily says. Uh, I like to have an independent thought, but I had to concur with him. It was um, was not being able to teach, and it was knowing that the work you were doing was very, very powerful, but you actually had no control over a particular class to um, provide them a learning journey. Um, and... At the start of the year, it was fantastic. Don't get me wrong, like not having, 20, <laughs> not having 25 kids follow you around or in front of you or being accountable to or anything like that, um, you know, 22 time, 22 hours a week, um, it was it was fantastic. But as the year drew on, what I found was that there was a gap and the gap was that I was drawing upon experiences that I had felt, I had smelt, and I had emotionally connected to, to be able to provide this education to um, other teachers. What I was, wasn't doing was I wasn't refueling the stocks uh, with fresh experiences coming out from last week or from the week before. And so as it, as it drew on, what I was yearning for was a class to teach. Every now and then, I'd drift into a school and I'd see the PE teacher and I'd go, do you know what, can I actually teach this class today? And um, and that was really refreshing. Like towards the end of the year, I needed that. Um, I really needed it a lot. And, and what I was able to do, um, and I don't think teachers do this enough, is that, um, you know, it's very easy to drift in and go, can I have class 3, 4B because they're the best in your school, I want to teach them. I, I drifted, drifted into the PE teacher's class and I said, can I teach the hardest class you've got? Um, and I want to throw in the deep end. I'll tell you what, there was one class and I failed miserably. I, I had to just play play games with them for every five minutes. That class was tough. Um, but I can tell you that probably after, um, you know, if you, probably it would take me about five to ten weeks with a lot of playmio activities and I'd break them down and you'd get them then into a point where um, I understood their personalities and I was able to then cater my lessons to their personality so I had that hook. Um, so that was probably the lowest point was, you know, the really the missing um, missing link of, of teaching kids um, day in, day out. That's, that's a fairly common um, feeling, I think, for people who have taken that secondment or they've stepped away to do something temporarily is that they must be in the classroom and they must those relationships and they must having that direct influence on a student's learning and outcome. And while you are contributing and, and adding value, you're not doing it in, a, in an explicit way. Yeah. And I can see how that would be um, challenging but I think it's going to be if you think long term medium to long term when you get back in the classroom you're going to be that much better of a teacher I think oh, having that experience of being away and seeing the other classes and facilitating and coaching these other teachers I think it's going to be you're going to be so much better than you already are mate so yeah um, I think that's a good thing to reflect on and a good thing to recognize being away because it's just going to keep you excited I find at times I, I get um, not bored but I yearn for something different and then you go out and you talk to your kids and you just remember why you're a teacher and it's about the kids and it's about those relationships that you form. Um, and that's, that's for me anyway, is one yeah. of the best things about teaching for me. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you're a bit of a, bit of a demon on the bike as well as in the water and also a pair of running shoes. 
Uh, what was your sporting background as a kid and what physical activity takes up most of your time at the moment? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, injuries take up most of my time at the moment. But uh, I tell you, um, so I grew up as a track athlete. Um, I hit in 1,500 metres with my specialty and, um, and I had a lot of success as a, um, as a junior athlete. Um, I had national ranking um, through university. Uh, I was offered um, scholarship uh, for running at the University of Hawaii, um, uh, which was you know really really awesome. And you know injuries sort of prevented me from from taking um, that scholarship up. But what um, what happened is that uh, when I was about seventeen, I actually um, swapped. Or, you know, I was doing it at the same time, but I was running track. I also had a love for um, triathlons and I was sitting there this one day on, a, on the weekend and I was watching a show called The Wide World of Sport and on it came um, the Ironman Hawaii and oh my God, I was hooked. Hook, line and sinker, I was drawn to the TV. Um, you know, back then there was no internet, there was no YouTubes, you know, I could only watch this on this one day. Um, if you were lucky you had a VCR so you could record it. Um, but I wanted to know everything about this sport because this sport uh, was unbelievable. If, um, if people out there, if our listeners are, are not familiar with the Hawaii Ironman, let me just paint you a little picture. So um, put the heat blasters on and crank up your heater to around about 40, 42 degrees. Um, then throw a hot northerly wind in. Um, then put uh, the lava fields of the left and the right side of you um, and that that's the setting on an island in Hawaii. Now, um, then go and, and have a swim in the ocean for about 3.8 kilometres um, without any wetsuit. Um, so, yeah, you're only in your bathers, um, so buoyancy was going to be a problem. Um, once you finish your swim, jump off, have a little bit of time to, um, to towel down, but then put on your uh, cycling gear and jump onto your bike for 180 kilometres. Uh, where you'll head straight into that 42 degrees and um, and hot northerlies. And then uh, once you finish your leisurely bike ride, I want you to put your running shoes on and go have a run for a marathon. Um, and if you can do so in under 17 hours, then you'll be declared an Ironman, you'll get a massive medallion and you'll be able to talk about it for the rest of your life. Um, that's what hooked me. And it was something that drove me crazy. So I took up triathlon. Um, and in fact, I was swimming at the pool today and um, the guy I was swimming with was my original triathlon coach um, back in uh, 1989. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we were reminiscing. I was, I was telling him I came across a picture the other week in, uh, of the first bike that he built me. And, um, and back then, you know, he was, he was 30 years of age. He'd done Hawaii Ironman three times. He was ranked in the top 10 in the world and, um, and he was a beast and um, it's just good. We became good mates and, you know, we, we really um, catch up every now and then and, you know, this morning um, we are just in the pool and just uh, did a swim session together and it's just a, a great way of life. Now, the triathlons took me all over um, Australia and, um, and mum and dad uh, were initially my, my sponsors. They, um, they sponsored me through transport, which was fantastic um, you know, because it's a long way to go to a different state to, um, to, to race if all you have to do is ride there. So uh, I was very grateful for them. But um, it, it also gave me a freedom that, um, you, you see, I, I get very bored. If I do one thing, I, I get very, very bored. So having three sports to train for kept me very, very busy. And... And, you know, you train probably 15 to 17 hours a week. Um, what, uh, in the early days, uh, what really yearned was um, uh, the, uh, the ability to, to race Ironman. And, um, and I was probably, I was too young to race initially. You had to be 18 years of age when I really had the right chance. And, um, and so I was 17 and nine months, I think, when I wanted to race an, an Ironman. I was going to lie about my age and just put down I was 18. But then I sort of figured that if I, something went wrong and they actually needed to know my age, then I was going to get in big trouble. Um, so I, um, I, I waited and um, I ended up having to wait for another 18 years before I went oh, and did really? a full Ironman um, because I went to university and you know, fell in love and, um, and then you sort of lose your way for a little bit and um, turn back to running, got into short short triathlons. And, 
Um, you know, I was married when I was 23, kids when I was 25, and um, they take up all your time, as you you know. Um, yep. Yep, so, you know, instead of being selfish, I, I sort of packed it all away and just did what I could and um, did a lot of running with running prams with my kids and um, and a lot of half marathons with the running prams, which was fantastic. And, uh, and then sort of mid-30s, um, still had the yearning desire for an Ironman and got the, the nod of the approval from the, um, my, my wife uh, when I sat down and sort of said, well, this is what it entails. Um, you know, it's going to take six months to train for. It's going to take, you know, 15 to 20 hours every single week. I'm going to be knackered on the weekends um, and I'm going to be grumpy moody. And she goes, yeah, you go, away you go. So, um, yeah, you know, away we went and, um, and we conquered the, uh, conquered the Ironman 2014 finally, which was unbelievable just to get that monkey off your back. And, yeah. um, yeah, I went into that race. I had um, I had a torn Achilles. I torn my Achilles six weeks before, so I did no running on land. I just ran in the ocean for um, six weeks, and um, and I went in there. The pictures of the Ironman now, if I showed you, you know, it looks like I'm held together with um, sticky tape. I just got <laughs> tape everywhere. Um, so yeah, but that motivates me, and that crosses over to education because I look at it and I look at the motto: anything is possible. And I take that into everything that I do and, and look at it, um, you know, positively in in terms of opportunities in life and opportunities in education and with kids. And, and that motto and the symbolism of, um, of really punishing yourself and driving towards your goals and, and conquering your goals, um, you know, regardless of how hard it is, is so important as a person and um, so important in, in sort of a metaphor when you're preaching it to kids um, and they can see that you've actually lived it and, and that, um, you know, what it means to you, they then take the bait and they drive with the same passion in trying to achieve their things. Um, so that's kind of, you know, where I look at it now. It's very transferable to, to how I'm trying to drive um, kids to, to be their best. Um, that's, that's really impressive. Um, how, many, how many Ironmans have you done now? So I've done uh, I've just done the one full Ironman, um, but uh, I'm more of a half Ironman specialist, which is um, it's yep. well, half the distance, but it's uh, and half the time. So it doesn't take as long to train for it. You know, around about four and a half hours um, of racing, um, but uh, you can go a lot faster and um, the recovery is a lot quicker. I, you know, a full Ironman takes you know, it took me probably four weeks to recover. Uh, properly, and a half Ironman is around about seven days um, before I'm back to feeling really good again. Yeah, I this, this is definitely an Ironman is on my bucket list um, sure. to do, and and not because I'm interested in, in running at all or, or cycling or swimming for that matter. I hate all of them, but it's it's the challenge, it's the discipline required. That's that's yeah. kind of what gets me off these days is having to be disciplined and strict and have this. Um, challenge or this goal to work towards and it's such it's such an out there achievement it's such a massive physical feat and and mental and emotional um and that's what what grabs me i think um i don't think at the moment i'd be any have any shot at completing it just because of my my body type and and injuries and all that but i think i'll give it 10 years and i have another think and trim down a little bit and and see what yeah. i can do it's just that, just I mean, running a marathon after you've done all that—that that is just insane. Um, but I'd love to experience that and and you know just conquer that and be an Ironman. I think that's so. Congratulations for doing that, mate. I think that's you know you when you you I think you touched on it when you complete that you become uh, you know in that very small group of people that have completed an Ironman and that's a massive feat, massive achievement. So well done. Yeah, thank you, mate. You obviously have this this uh, really positive and healthy relationship with physical activity. What, why do you think it's essential that our young people today have a similar attitude, and what barriers do you think are getting in the way? Um, yeah, great question. And yeah, this, this one probably sits um, to the factor of I, I really believe um, kids need something to strive for, and it doesn't matter what it is. It does not matter what it is. You know, it's not mum and dad's choice. Um, it's not your grandparents' choice. It's not um, your best friend's choice. It, it, it's your own personal choice. Um, and it, it's having something that really gives you that motivation to have a desire to know 
something or everything about it. Uh, about it. Um, I take my my son for example. My son is um, a musician, and um, and he loves music. Now, my son loves to know everything about everything. Um, you know, when he's passionate about something, and and he wanted to. Um, he wanted to learn to, to play the keyboard because he was following a, an 80s rock band and the, the keyboardists in there were, were people that he was just like, oh, I just want to be like them. So we went and got him a keyboard and um, and he, his desire was so much that you know he taught himself how to play the keyboard based on these guys uh, and how they were playing the keyboard. So you know, as far as sitting down, didn't want to sit down because you know rock stars all stand up and play the keyboard. Um, and you know the, the tunes he played, he was obsessive in, in learning these tunes. So he had a drive, uh, which was really important. He then flipped to the drums because in the band, well, the keyboardist also had a drummer. Um, so hey, Dad, can we get a pair of drums? Well, your birthday's coming up. We'll get you a set of drums. So we got him a set of drums, and now he's, he's um, really doing well in, in the drumming. And it's the same type of thing. It's um, it's learning that drum sequence to it. And um, now he's into the bass guitar. Um, so it's that real healthy passion to be involved in something. Um, and I think that that is one of the essentials. It's, it's, it's having that drive that is not having you sit on the couch and go, you know, I've got no friends. I've got nothing to do. Um, I'll sit on Facebook and I'll actually look at everyone else do stuff. Why me? Why me? I feel bad. I feel bad. It's, it's actually getting up every morning and having a purpose. Um, and I think that um, some of the things that are getting in the way of, um, or, you know, and are, are potential barriers is maybe there is too much choice um, this day and age for kids to be stimulated. Um, and whether that's positive choices or negative choices, um, you know, I'm not going to really throw an opinion down on that, but um, I think that there are a lot of things that are distracting kids to be able to make that, that particular choice that is really going to allow them to thrive and excel. Um, and it's a hard thing because you really want someone to, to own what they do rather than be told what they do. Um, you know, I'm not sure if it's the same in, in New Zealand, but here um, I think there's a real bad habit of overscheduling kids. Um, you know, it's a serious habit. And and parents do it for great intentions, but you see at the end of the day, you know, the kids become the masters of nothing because you know, they're here for an hour, they're there for an hour, they're here for an hour, they're there for an hour. Um, they come home, they eat, they do their homework, they go to school, and, and you see by the time they're 13, they're cooked and they're done. I mean, you and I have seen it, that the, um, the over-competitive parent that really pushes their, their youngster quite hard, and all of a sudden that child's 14 and doesn't want anything to do with sport because the parents have cooked them um, mm -hmm. through being over-involved. So um, I think that the, you know, the, the biggest advice there for kids is to, to have an ownership of something that, that when they wake up in the morning, they're, they're just itching at, their, um, at their, their hands and their feet to actually get in and continue their learning journey. Um, because with kids, you know, they can be passionate about something and, and um, you know, they, they can do it for 17 hours a day in school holidays if they want. Um, that's totally up to them. Yeah, I that overscheduling that you mentioned, and I, I think that is a problem. And also, you talked about the decision needs to be their own. And I think when we have that overscheduling, and we have, you know, these kids involved in in so much, and then you throw technology in with that as well. I think kids are losing um, this curiosity. I mean, a lot of what I did growing up was was I was just curious. I just wanted to find stuff out. I wanted to go and do that and see what that experience was like for me. And I think these days we we kind of the way we we schedule or the way we you know that how busy we are and how connected we are, we kind of remove that curiosity component to physical activity. And I think that's really sad. And I think um, we need to find a way that we can. Um, not necessarily unplug because technology does do a lot of good things for us, but how can we facilitate our young people to just explore and just play yeah. and, and take yeah. some of that structure away? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, um, one of the goals I've got for this year is, um, you know, I mentioned this with Ryan Alice um, on the PE umbrella a couple of weeks ago is that 
Um, the, the overarching goal in my PE curriculum this year is called Level Up Your Risk. So I'm sort of taking a play on um, gamification, but also risk taking. But one of the underpinning elements of it is choose your own adventure. So the kids are not going to be presented with one one way to do things. They're going to be presented with three or four or even an opportunity to make up their own to be able to answer the learning intent. And for myself, um, I'm going to be there to make sure that um, they're answering the overall goal for the year, which is risk taking. You know, are they stepping on the edge and looking over, and then taking that step and going, yes, this is better than I actually was able to do yesterday. Um, and if they're not, I want to call them out, and I want to go right. Mm. Let's let's talk about it. Let's work out. Mm. You know, how are we going to take this step over the edge? Mm. So, mm. Fun. We've we've talked a lot about your role as coach and facilitator with the work you're doing with the university. Um, and within that, we've talked about how the work with those classroom teachers is really important and really essential. So what are your main ingredients into effective classrooms and understanding the needs of children? Yeah, so th this one is, was one of the core elements of um, the, the first month of the People Project this year. It was um, not only for me to gain the, the trust of the class, but also to share with the teacher my philosophies of, of connecting with kids. And um, sorry, the dog was biting itself. <laughs> uh, I throw a shoe at it. <laughs> that bit out. Um, sorry, I'll start that bit again. Um, so. Yeah, this this was a really really important um, aspect of the people project. Was um, you know, my my work early inside that first month was all about trying to connect kids and and get them to trust myself as a stranger into their classroom, but also to connect teachers and show them that um, you know with that gentle nurturing and and um, the way we introduce things to to children, the way we connect with children um, needed to be really special. Um, and what I wanted to really, really um, to, to connect with these, these, these teachers was that um, we're, we're there to teach kids um, that they deserve to almost visit Disneyland every day when they came to school, nice. not, um, not step into a business factory. Uh, teachers forget that. They, they have their goals and objectives and um, you know, and they run the drills by what they're setting down as their goals of education, and, and that's fine. That, that's great. That's what holds them accountable to their principles. But what they forget is they're actually um, they're actually part of the amusement um, at Disneyland, and and they've got to make that journey for kids so special that the kids want to come back tomorrow. Um, that they want to be on the same ride that really gave them the spark and the interests um, within. They want to make sure that they're first, the first person in line because if they're the first person in line, then then they're going to receive more um, of the the moment. Um, and they also want to make sure that everything they're doing, they're capturing that element, and that they're remembering those feelings when when they're at nighttime. That a whole emotional connection to education. So. What we should have looked at with teachers is that the moment that door opens, there's got to be something to engage the kids. There's not, um, you know, it wasn't okay to get kids to come inside, sit on the floor and wait for 10 minutes while the teacher marks the roll. Um, you know, it was, how are you? Um, can you tell me something different in this room? And all of a sudden the kids would come into this room and, and they would be curious as to what it is um, that, that's different in the room. The next child's in, you know, how are you, Alice? Um, can you tell me something different about this room? Or tell somebody else something different about this room. Now, there might not be a thing different about the room, um, but what the teacher did was spark that curiosity that you mentioned earlier, mm. that something's different in this room, but they've introduced the kids into the, the Disneyland. They've introduced them into a space where they believe something is different. Um, or, it, you know, it, it brings the kids in and straight away, instead of marking the role, instead of waiting for every child to, to enter the room, the one, once the first child enters, there's a game that starts. And the, that game that starts might be rock, paper, scissors. Um, and the teacher's involved. So the teacher starts it off and little Jonathan comes in, rock, paper, scissors, rock, paper, scissors, rock, paper, scissors, until someone else comes, rock, paper, scissors, well done, go play that person. Um, and they play three times, go play someone else. 
And this can happen for five to 10 minutes because it's a real welcome and it's a connection not only between teacher and student, but student and student. And then um, then the teacher gets really crafty and they, they go, right, freeze after three minutes. Stop, talk to the person you're actually um, uh, with at the moment. Tell them about your dream last night. And it starts to then bring kids in and actually connect them and bind them to the same pathway and the same journey. That they're finding something out about someone they might not sit with, they might not talk to, they might not play with, but they're having that communication. Um, and then they start to connect with um, with really being on the same page. Now, I've done a lot of work with Playmio and Mark Collard, and Mark's one of my educational mentors. And, and this is um, this is stuff that Mark um, talks about daily. Um, you know, the the whole importance of you know connection before content, and and really making sure that um, when kids arrive, that there is something to do. Um, that they, you know, kids arrive early. There is something to do in physical education. We're all PE teachers. Um, you know, I'm hoping that there's people listening that aren't PE teachers. But um, when we um, when we have kids arrive, it doesn't matter whether they're there five minutes early or um, or they come five minutes late. There is something that's actually going to get them going that connects to the lesson. And you know, the big one I mentioned with Sarah Gitchy Hartman when I was doing some work with her about um, 12 months ago was that um, we should not penalise the first person to class because someone stood putting their socks on in the gymnasium to, to get dressed for PE. What we should be doing is rewarding that child for getting there on time. That person that's putting their socks on that's five minutes late doesn't receive a penalty. All they're doing is missing out on that learning experience and all the cues and the clues to be more successful in that introductory activity. Um, so that's that's part of my ingredients to effective classrooms and understanding needs kids. I love that. And I, I already know that this is going to be, for me personally, the best takeaway from this podcast is that connection before content. And um, I've always known that, you know, obviously the kids come in, you don't just let them hang by themselves and, and do nothing. You have something there for them, but I've never considered it to be them forming a connection before that content arrives. It's always kind of been a bit of downtime for them to go and, you know, shoot the hoop, shoot the ball or something. But it's a perfect opportunity to build some connections between themselves and between themselves and, and me, the teacher. Um, and I think that is something really powerful that at start of 2018, I'm going to keep at the forefront of my thinking is connection before content and take that time uh, before the class starts to build those relationships even further than what I've been trying to in the past. So um, that's really cool. And I also love, I've never heard of a classroom being referred to as uh, somebody's Disneyland. And I think that's fantastic. Mm. And being able to yeah. take them on some amazing experience. Um I think my classrooms are probably a little bit closer to a trip to the fish and chip shop in the car maybe at the moment. So uh, I'm hoping that 2018 I can ramp it up a little bit and be that Disneyland. So that's awesome, mate. Yeah. You're uh, – go on. Oh, I was just going to say the, the other one on that is, is looking at um, you know, every connection we have has a purpose because they're the minutes that are actually going to develop a child. Um, yep. So that's probably the biggest one in that. Yep. You, you have a website, um, com, and it's got some pretty cool stuff on there. I was taking a look beforehand. Um, a lot of good content helping teachers and students. Um, I started my website about eight or nine years ago, and it, it's kind of evolved a lot over the years. Why did you start yours? Um, it started initially to drive the kids to digital learning and flip learning. Um, and what I really wanted to do with them when we were um, we, we were working at probably about oh, six years ago, I think it was, that I first started it, um, was that I wanted to give them the secrets of what was going to happen that week before they came um, and to really allow them to come into the class and not only be prepped, but actually feel confident and confident, there are those two words again, that what was about to happen, actually we're familiar with. Um, and it evolved from there. So what, what we, we sort of started to develop was that um, at first was there to communicate with the kids. 
and then the parents. So you know, you'd have track and field day, and you'd have parent volunteers. So you'd post videos of of how to um, to be an official on high jump, and and parents can watch the two minute little video that I would have pulled off YouTube and linked up, but gave them then the information they needed. So it made my life as a teacher a lot easier because I was using that flipped learning approach. Um, as it evolved, then I started to find that other teachers were connecting and I was sharing that information which was helping other teachers. Now I'm a bit of a numbers man um, and I looked at it and I thought, right, well if on, on average if every teacher teaches say 300 kids um, a week and I was hitting, you know, in the early days I, would, I was high-fiving myself in the office when I'd get 30 hits a week. Um, because I was doing the math and I was going, shoo-hoo, 9,000 kids this week are receiving some, some um, awesome stuff. Now, on average, probably a week at the moment, it ticks around 950 to 1,000 hits a week. Um, so you do your math then and you go, oh, my God, you know, we've got a lot of kids receiving some quality education um, from just something simple. Um, and it might be a, a lesson that I did on high jump and I used Dick Telford as provocation and not Dick Telford, Dick Crosby as um, provocation through um, the Fosby flop and, and showing the technique and how I use digital learning to really transpire and, uh, you know, transform that lesson. Um, so we, we then look at that and we look at the multiplication of that and we go, right, okay, I can actually advocate the importance of education here through three different portals and, and have three, three different complete outcomes. One, the kids to, to share that learning journey and actually be prepared. Parents, so they know straight away what's going on. Um, you know, transparency education is the best advocacy for, for being um, uh, taken seriously in school. And then the third one was actually um, the sharing of, of education through the entire world um, and giving teachers um, in other schools the opportunity to replicate what they do. And um, my favourite page on there at the moment is PE Posters. Um, I really learned how to use Adobe Illustrator properly over the last couple of years and, um, and some of the posters on there, which we'll talk about um, very soon with gamification, are just phenomenal. And, um, and some of the downloads off that, that have been um, incredible. I think there was a, a poster I put up last year um, and inside the first week it had been downloaded 1,900 times um, and people were sharing my posters on their walls uh, in their gyms you know, in different countries around the world. And the best one that I loved was um, it was a Russian teacher um, had taken it and he asked for the AI file so he could edit it. And I said, yep, no problem, just send it back to me, uh, what you got. And um, and he took a picture and what he had done is he had changed everything, um, uh, not changed it around to, to personalise it himself, but he translated it all into Russian. Um, nice. And <laughs> I, I couldn't understand it, but it was just really cool to see my poster on his wall in his language um, and benefiting his kids. Um, you know, what what more rewarding high five can you give yourself after seeing that? Yeah, I, I think it's really important, and and you obviously do too. Um, that especially if you've if you've got some skills and some knowledge and some information, and you have the ability to share that with others, I think it's um, really important that yeah. teachers do that, and you and you obviously do it really well. And I'm just I just loaded up your your PE posters page now, and it is it is really cool, and you've you've got some some good stuff there. So um, I really do encourage teachers to stop by, but. Um, I also want to want to thank you too for making your content available because there's just not enough people doing this. There's not enough people sharing their thoughts, ideas, and their content for other people to learn and take away and build on their own practice um, using these resources. Because if we were all doing this and we're all sharing some of the good stuff, then at the end of the day, it's only going to improve the kids' outcomes, and and that's what we're here for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's 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 a simple thing to do, and um, you know, initially I was scared. I was scared to death putting up something to to be criticised by others. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I've been caned for some of the things that that I've put up, and and you you develop a thick skin, um, and you realise that okay, you know, some of the stuff that that you put up is not for everyone, and there's some critical people out there. Um, totally, but totally. You realise. 
Yeah, you realise that the large percentage of people there are actually going to go, you know what, I like it or I don't like it, but you know that's worked for Andy. Um, and that's kind of the, the way I look at it. I go, it's worked for me, it's on the website, let's go. You know, If you love it, download it. If you don't love it, don't worry about it. Um, there's so much content out there, you'll, you'll find what you love if you don't like you know, stuff on my website. Nice. Hey, uh, we've got a mutual friend and and uh, the amazing Dale Sybottom, um, and you've you've teamed up with him recently, which is pretty cool to hear. Um, so gamification is this is is one thing that the three of us have in common, and it's something I'm I'm really fond of and um, use a lot in my classrooms. And the stuff that you're doing with it is really cool. What's your motivation behind these resources, and and how are they making a difference in your teaching? Um. Yeah. So. Gamification is um, it, it's it's something that I've really fallen in love with. I mean, I love video games. Don't get me wrong. I love FIFA. Um, my favourite game is uh, AFL. Um, you know, over here Australian Football League. I, I love that. Um, the NBA basketball. Um, I've got a problem with the, the setting at the moment. I can't get it off where Michael Jordan can shoot from anywhere and score a three. So I've got to try and work out how to change that. But <laughs> I thought, you know. What better way to look at um, education? This year was was that that year that sort of opened my eyes a little bit, and I thought I looked back at kids, and again I looked at my kids and, and thought, what makes them tick? And what makes them tick is the self gratification of um, that they get from actually conquering something. If it's my son playing um, playing his keyboard and mastering a song, um, and then you know giving himself a pat on the back and just going, I nailed that. Um, that's what kids are getting these days from iPads, iPhones, Xboxes, Playstations, you know, whatever their platform is. They're getting that self-gratification because the, the game has told them that, hey, you've actually conquered a level. Congratulations. Here's the next level. Um, and so I took that as, a, as an idea and I looked um, at a number of schools I was working in. I was going, all right, these teachers are teaching two ends of the spectrum. They're going fundamental motor skills and they're teaching game sense. That's brilliant. Well done. Um, but then I looked at it and I thought they're really missing a massive link in the middle here and, and they're looking at, um, or they might be playing a game, you know, with gamification with, you know, the focus might have been on um, um, passing the ball to a teammate um, in an offensive drill um, in an invasion game and uh, and then they would play a game. Um, so the kids would all be involved in basketball, uh, for instance, sake. And, and, and you had that one child that... Um, they might touch that ball twice and they might be ineffective both times. So, you know, is there success for them? Probably not. You know, if they then had to measure themselves up on a rubric, they would fail. Um, you know, and that's not motivating at all for a child. However, if you had a sub-level to this and the kids had a game card and this game card had six things on it and inside an invasion game, um, you know, one of those things might simply be um, stick with an opponent for more than five seconds. Um, that child didn't have to touch a ball, be effective or ineffective, shoot a ball, block a ball, steal a ball. All they had to do is run with somebody and actually tag an opponent, which is a great concept in game sense. They could pick that off their seat, and they knew that they had one of six things to done to actually complete that level. The second one might simply be um, uh, stop the ball from going past halfway. So they, they can apply that any way they, they want. Um, and as soon as they've actually done that, they can pick it off their sheet. Um, two skills, three skills, four skills, five skills, six skills, finished my sheet. Um, I've just leveled up. Um, the kids then get that self-motivation um, because their team could have been absolutely destroyed on the field, but they've passed their, their actual game card, um, you know, their own way. No one else has had to um, have an effect on whether they've been effective or ineffective. Their team might have absolutely stunk, but everyone on that team could have actually levelled up because they've achieved the gamification levels within uh, a game situation, and that's what really started to motivate me. Um, and one of the ones I was teaching, Spikeball, uh, to a secondary school. I dropped in and I was doing a bit of a workshop for them. Um, and I was, I was watching, you know, I had, had um, throughout the day, I had 180 uh, year eights and year nines, and, and I was looking at them, and I started to work out that um, the really cool players, they'd hit the ball as hard as they possibly could, and 
and then you'd see the kids on the other side of the court, and you know they they might have been your less talented, um, you know, sporty kids uh, for one reason or another, and you'd see them lose motivation. Um, but then you bring in these game cards, and all of a sudden the chess came up because they knew that um, they could pass these six different um, tasks and be successful and not win a point um, through through that whole game. And that was what I was valuing as such such a really important tool. Um, I made the correlation with spike ball with a couple of kids who uh, I said, "What's your favourite subject at school?" Got math. I said, well, you know that in spike ball, it's all about angles and numbers. And they looked at me and they've gone, well, I said, yeah, but think about it. Wherever that ball is on the opposite side of the circle, it's fairly much you're going to be able to predict where it goes based on the angle that the, the person hits it. So if you just think about that as a circle and through angles, and then you could just see them absolutely dominate where the ball was going to go every single time because they were actually interpreting um, the math of the, the actual game. Um, so that was sort of my motivation inside of um, gamification and, and really I'm so pumped this year to, um, to be able to develop so many more resources um, on the fly to be able to, to hit the needs of the kids we're working with. I, I was saying that um, um, the, what was it? I've written down here before. What did I say was going to be my key takeaway? Um, it was the connection, connection before yeah. content. Uh, I was going to say that was going to be the gem I was going to take away, but I might actually just steal your gamification um, implementation here. I think that's probably one of the, the simplest but most effective um, ways of using gamification in the classroom. And it draws a lot from, it, I see that happening in video games in two ways. First of all, when you pick up a game and start playing, playing a game, they have an onboarding process that will, um, is used to teach the user the controls or how the game works and they'll have these checklists and you work your way through these checklists and you, you knock them off and um, it gets you, it shows a bit of learning. But um, And that's very similar to what you're doing. But where it's really similar is the achievement system um, that came out with, I think, PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 where they implemented these achievements. And what this did, well, these ran separate to the game. So you might play your game and the objective is to do this, this, and this. But then alongside that, they had, like, for example, um, and I can recall a Call of Duty game, you got an achievement if you ran 20 kilometers with your character. So um, it, it increased the gameplay of of um, the, the length you could spend playing a game and added more value because after you achieved the explicit outcomes that were from just playing the game, you could then go back and revisit and, and then get your character running as 20Ks or then do all these other little achievements that um, just made things a little bit more exciting. And what you're doing in the classroom is um, you do have this aspect of the game, which for those really competitive students is awesome and they're going to do that and they're going to be successful but you're tapping into those kids that are going to struggle and you're finding a way to involve them um, using this aspect of gamification and I think that's so powerful man I think that's you're onto a winner you're onto a winner there and I can't believe I haven't thought of that myself so um, one of my first jobs this year once I get back in uh, into this teaching is to create some little um, checklists or game cards for different sports that we play and really um, push them with some of the, the less able students who are struggling to find their, well, you see it all the time, eh? you see students that just struggle to find their place in the activity or in the game. So I think I think that's yeah. awesome, mate. Well done. Absolutely. You, myself, and, um, and uh, we should put a, uh, we should um, put them all together uh, on a Google Drive or Dropbox and, and create a, a really awesome ebook that people can download. Yeah, definitely. Let's do it, mate. That sounds good. Um, with this is this podcast is getting on, mate. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip a question here, but last question is is Kona on the cards anytime soon? Is that you know is that have you got that on your bucket list or is that a bit of a stretch goal? Maybe what's what's the story with that? Would you like to do that? Look, Kona is there, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, because it's been a childhood dream. Um, when I was a kid, I had this road um, near my house. I was five k out, five k back. Um, and it was flat, and there was a hill at the end. Now, you know, I, I do a lot of um, visualisation when I train and when I race and stuff like that. It just motivates me. I reckon I must have ridden, run that road for uh, 200 times against two of my Ironman legends, and, and it was always imagining I was on the Queen K in, in Kona. Now, my very good mate, Sean DeMorton, um, Sean went and did Kona, um, 
uh, two years ago um, and absolutely conquered it. And he um, he's one of the, the best Ironman in his age group here in Australia and, and we'll go back and, and we, we said that one day we'll do it. Hey, you know, I might be 75 when I get there um, and I might be super bionic with all the injuries I get, but um, I'll get there. I mean, Kona would be awesome. That would be like... Um... Yeah, you know, it's the mecca of, of what you do and, and the Ironman. And I, I really do hope you get there, mate, because um, you always want to see somebody compete at the top. And I think for you and your sport of triathlon and Ironman, that would be um, one hell of an, an experience. And even if it is when you're 75, mate, um, that's, that's, that's better than never. So um, I really do hope you, um, hope you achieve that at some point in the near future. But I just want to um, really thank you for, for taking the time out to talk to me. Um, I remember back to Tasmania and I grabbed you and we went down to the driving range and that was um, it was a really special time for me getting to know you but it was really cool because you were probably one of the first um, international teachers in my career that I actually formed a bit of a, a, a bond with and I've, I've watched what you do since then and, and even myself I've grown since since I met you and, and you've done a lot of fantastic things and you're much like um, I, I put you and Dale Sidebottom up there as teachers that are really um, just so excited about education and it comes through in the work you're doing and, you know, at being that facilitator and the coach and working with those teachers is awesome. But, you know, I, I know the stuff that you do in a classroom and it's so powerful um, and I hope you don't spend too long away from the classroom because those kids are missing out not having you there. And, um, so, you know, I, I hope soon you're back in the classroom and, and doing what you love because um, you're good at what you do, mate. So I really do thank you for taking the time out to chat with me. No, thank you. And, and likewise, Carl, you know, when we met in Tassie um, and you were hitting the house at the back of the driving range and I was only putting it about 100 metres down the driving range, um, it was it was something that did connect us. Um, as you said, look, you know, probably, probably education. I, I get motivated because um, it excites me and it keeps me ticking and it, it keeps me young um, and I found something that I can excel at. Uh, it's just like, you know, my athletics, you know, I, I you know, as an early child, I, I loved running fast and running the 800 metres and um, I remember Carl Lewis at the 1984 Olympics and, and I was infatuated by, by being, um, working towards something and PE teaching does drive that same way and, and then also, you know, the the upper echelon of um, of you know your, your teaching and being able to share with others um, is is certainly something that drives me as well. And I'm so glad that you're in my corner and that I've got you as a mate. All right, mate. Thanks for that, and um, all the best with 2018. I, I hope it rocks for you, but um, no doubt it will. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I'll be back on the gym floor in two and a half weeks. <laughs> <laughs>